0: How, as an individual being, do you attribute value to your global self, both internally and externally? And what are the evaluative standards as the knower that you employ to measure your significance, security and confidence? Then what adaptive coping strategies do you utilize to establish a better and consistent self sense of self-regard? That is, do I like me? Do you like you? How do I um, get along with the me I'm trying to like? The you that you see in the mirror, the me inside, and the me that people see. What is it, what are those things that mean I like me? That mean I feel worth and can say to myself, yeah, I have value. That means I can head out into the day, live it out, and come home at night feeling good in myself, about myself, with myself, with all my various kind of happenings, interactions, comings and goings. Do you like you? And are you liking you? Now, whether by a technical definition or not, um, this is all to say, how is it that you esteem what makes you, you? Now the idea of self-esteem is all about how we value or regard ourselves. Thinking of self-esteem as kind of self-value might actually make it a little bit clearer. How you apply personal acceptance and worthiness to oneself. I'm told, we're told, aren't we, that it's good to have um, healthy self-esteem. We know that the idea of low self-esteem is not great, and we get concerned if we hear that that's someone's situation. We know we wanna be aiming for higher self-esteem, as that is healthier. Now, whether you'd see yourself as one who is really kind of um, wrestling with this, or you've just kind of never really given it much thought, I kind of a bit more in that camp, we do actually consciously or subconsciously esteem ourselves somehow. And it is this how that matters the most. So to get an idea of self-esteem, I want us to have a look at the concept of self-esteem, uh, where it com- comes from the criteria used to measure our self-esteem, then how we navigate our self-esteem and then changing our self-esteem to understand the how that matters most. So firstly, the concept of self-esteem. Now there are a number of um, moments and movements in the development of thought and um, uh, thought around um, self um, and self-esteem through history. But it's actually crystallized um, uh, most clearly um, in its uh, modern form by a guy called William uh, James. However, um, Aristotle did have a concept of it and we see from that reading um, with Paul that he got it as well. So it's it's not like a newly invented thing, Um, it's just being better categorized. So William James appears on the scene in the 19th century and he wrote The Principles of Psychology. Now, is there any psychology students here or sociology students? Vaguely a bit, yeah. Anybody heard of William James? Yeah, kind of the the sort of awkward bit. Well, William James took the um, first real steps towards a scientific analysis of the self rather than just a purely um, philosophical one that had been done previously. And a key thing that he shows uh, you and I is that we split the whole of self, the whole of me, into two uh, parts. You as uh, the one who can know, and then you, yourself, or how others know you okay William James observed our ability as humans to step back and evaluate ourselves in self reflection self understanding self evaluation self measurement self experience for self adjustment and so he believed each person has a self concept you being a student, a piano player, graphic designer, a techie, being uh, short, being tall, being happy-go-lucky, being serious, being intense. We then take our self-concept and then we place that into a value system that leads to judgments being made. Feelings, positive or negative about myself are then associated with that. Okay, so the nature of self-esteem can be summed up um, by saying, our self-esteem depends upon the making of value judgments about the self in relation to others. And then this leads to an emotional response with various behaviors and actions flowing from those felt values. All right, okay. So that's the concept of self-esteem. What's the main criteria then that we use to measure and maintain um, our self-esteem, whether that's positively or uh, negatively? How do I say to me, of me, I'm wonderful, I can be confident, I have dignity, I need not be ashamed, or I'm a failure, I'm insensitive, I shouldn't belong. And so that's the second point, the criteria of self-esteem esteem. Now, there's a regular evaluating ourselves that goes on by various uh, metrics. Some of us are more aware of these, um, others not so much. regardless of that, um, what's the basis of how we work out and try to um, attribute that value uh, to ourselves? Well, I want you to turn around to the person um, near you and maybe just share what's, if you're comfortable, what's one thing that's important to you? Or what's one thing that you see kind of gives, uh, gives you value? So take a moment, have a think, share with the person around you if you're comfortable to. Otherwise, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Now, we won't, we won't feedback on those, um, but it was interesting hearing a few um, pop, pop up there. Um, now, all of the ones that you shared or you heard um, should fit into one of four criteria um, where we kind of measure and maintain um, our self-esteem. And this is pedigree, performance, love of another, and transcendent significance. Okay, so let's, let's think about those. Pedigree, the who am I and where do I come from part of us? What are your past roots, genealogical connections, ethnic backgrounds? These can say a lot about who you are and the worth you might attribute to yourself and how interacting with others might make you feel. A title before your name, a particular surname, a postcode, suburbs, school church, movement, type of degree can sort of ensure ensure that kind of peripheral treatment um, toward you or not, as the case uh, may be. Okay, so that's pedigree. Performance, that's the what do I do, our abilities and achievements in life. You and I derive a huge amount of pride and pleasure from being able to do stuff and achieve things good results, good feedback, mastery of disciplines, awards, rewards, qualifications, recognisations, positions and postings. When we fail in these areas, um, we get distressed and we feel pain, don't we? And it's performance also where our spirituality, whatever form that might take in our life, often comes into play our religious practice, our spiritual offerings and disciplines, how and what way that positions me before a deity or a sacred code affects how I feel about myself heaps. Okay, pedigree, performance, love of another. This is our desirability and lovableness. Love of another has everything to do with appearance, sexuality, goodness, health, vitality, being objects of love. Something that causes pull towards me from others is a place where we derive uh, worth. Being popular, likable, attractive, um, and socially uh, successful. Fourthly, transcendent significance. Transcendent significance is seen in the desire to kind of leave a mark on the world leaving a legacy because life is short or just trying to live as long as possible. A lasting name maybe in some form, my imprint on the world in some way that can be said, Andrew did that. According to the studies, these four criteria um, arise from Um, self-esteem is based on the way uh, we see ourselves really in terms of where do I come from, what do I do, what have I got going for me and what am I going to leave behind? Pretty much isn't it? Where do I come from, what do I do, what have i got going for me and what will I leave uh, behind? And it's interesting because these are uh, what Paul's totally relies on for, um, he relied on for gaining and maintaining his self-esteem you see down there um, in those verses that we were read um, chapter chapter three uh, there from verse verse five um, pedigree if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh i have more circumcising on the eighth day of the people of israel the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews performance in regard to the law a pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church then Paul's eternal significance is at play, as for legalism, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, and then love of another. Well, this kind of all came together for him to be the quintessential Jew, the model. He is what every Jew admired and kind of wanted to be. Um, Paul's self-esteem actually was really quite high. It should have been really quite high, like maxed high. He's probably the kind of person, if he was in this room, you would look at and it would make your self-esteem plummet, but yet at the same time, you still wanna be him, but then you would really not like him for being him. Um, so he, I think he's that, he's that kind of guy, that's, his, that's the package you get in him. Now we all use um, this criteria to evaluate ourselves, and often they can be uh, mixed together, um, And so they actually provide our main way of giving value and worth to ourselves. Okay, so the concept of self-esteem helps us understand what this term is. And then the main criteria show us what we draw from and then lean into for our self-esteem. So out of this, I've got a few key reflections that I wanna draw on and think about further. So first of all fraction is self-esteem is a very human concept. It's viewed from a human perspective, focused on us with self at the center, yeah? The criteria of our self-esteem is very changeable, as is our interaction with them. The highs and lows of our self-esteem can drive us inwardly, or outwardly to interact with others and the world in a healthy and appropriate and good way, or actually in a detrimental, dehumanizing and selfish way. There's a direct link um, which is really important between self-esteem and our motivation, what we're prepared to do for and with ourselves. And the last little reflection is that your self-esteem can tell you a lot about you and actually how you feel about your personal identity. Okay, so one big challenge arising um, from the way self-esteem forms and shapes our identity is that generally, and I think probably more often than actually we'll meet, we don't actually measure up well against our criteria. So as that happens, how do you deal with that? How do we get ourselves and keep ourselves to where we want to be? Now we want a positive self-experience. I mean, who, who doesn't? Um, well, what we find ourselves doing is either recovering or increasing our self-esteem. We seek ways of um, uh, self-compensation to correct um, that, to increase or recover. So that's the super next step that I want to think about, navigating and changing um, our self-esteem. So there's two coping mechanisms. Two coping strategies that we use to navigate our self-esteem as we work out these criteria. Um, The first is comparison. We compare ourselves to others in light of those four areas. We correct. We attempt to make corrections and changes to that criteria uh, that we use. So when I was doing my, um, my degree, Uh, The bread room where the pigeonholes were was the place where our results uh, would appear. What was the most common question that could be heard in that room? What did you get? What did you get? Now, is that question driven by an altruistic concern for my fellow students' success? Hardly. What is going on there? It's a point of comparison. You got 67% of credit. Ah, I got 75 and a distinction. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I pump my self-worth up um, and I maintain it in that moment by going I'm smarter, a bit more accomplished and so a bit better. Or you'll be the other person He'll be staring at the lower mark and you'll say to yourself, well, they had extra help. I was given less time. My question was harder. My lecturer had a higher standard. So actually, I did do pretty well. And I feel good about myself. What's happening there is what a lot of us do a lot of the time in all of these different areas of our life is that we are moving the goalposts making corrections on the criteria, so it allows you to pump yourself up. You see, we always have a problem with the gap that is created between our performance and the extent to which we don't stack up to our criteria. Now, by and large, that's just how we operate and how we work it, um, work out our self-esteem um, and work out our, our level of value, uh, really. So when it comes to, to that, we can just find from dawn to dusk that we're just on a treadmill of sorts. We are always chasing our standards, um, however significant or not um, they are, seeking to maintain them, And avoiding even putting off and putting down anything that might compromise this. Yet provided that we're meeting our criteria most of the time, all is well. And we cope all right, don't we? But when it collapses, what happens? Will we spiral down? We struggle with me, dislike me, and even maybe hate me? And in some instances, we can lose our very self. And it can be a deep and devastating existential crisis because it's our core sense of worth that's lost or taken away. You see, what happens when your self-esteem is built upon completing your degree and getting into that profession that your parents want you to and then you receive grades that rule it out? Or your self-esteem is built upon the affection and the companionship of your partner, and after one, two, three years being together at uni, they just decide it's time to part ways and to get to know other people. Or your self-esteem is built on being the standout member of your rugby, swimming, whatever, sports or something team, and then you do your ACL. It's game over. Or your self-esteem is built on being uh, self-controlled and careful that you make a terrible error of judgment. Or your value is built on being known, uh, being asked first, being included, being consulted and being up the front. Now, it's not wrong to be deeply saddened and grieved when these things happen, it would be kind of a bit unhuman not to be right. But the issue with this model of self-esteem is that those criteria exist within a fragile and unpredictable world. And you're fragile, I'm fragile, and ultimately unpredictable within it. Your ability to meet your criteria is ultimately not actually within your control. And I know we don't like to hear that and that can feel a bit awkward, and especially because it flies in the face of popular self-help movements. It's actually just true. You know, if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that at any moment, whatever it is, it could just become unachievable. And that's stressful, that is unsettling, but it's the anxiety code by which many of us live but we kind of set our lives up in a way that we actually just can be on top of it. But for reasons utterly beyond your control, your life just might very well collapse like a house of cards. So what are my two options at this point? Well, we can decide um, there were good reasons for falling short, as often there, there might be, right? It might not be your fault that you've done your ACL in or we can change the goalposts and find a new basis on which to determine our wealth. But ultimately, when you've stared the fragility of life down the barrel, you'll probably be able to see the futility of setting a new standard of criteria that just kind of end up just being like a poorly set New Year's resolutions that actually know more within your control than the previous ones that actually led to all the pain. So that's the big challenge, I think, of this self esteem model. So I wanna offer another way uh, to navigate this. And so I want you to um, listen to, um what Paul says and what kind of Paul starts to give us in this passage here, because he claims a different standard and a different opinion for his self-esteem, which actually begins to form the Christian account. Um, Spoiler is that it centers on Jesus. So Paul, as we read here, has come to know a worth and a value that's based not on all those things, to give him confidence, significance, and security in how he feels about himself and how much he likes the me. It's no longer attained and maintained through the level of confidence he has created in himself from his own criteria, as awesome as that criteria was. But in verse nine there, it says, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of from God, based on faith. And as he writes in another letter, he says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. By having Jesus' righteousness, which He gives regardless of our performance, that is by grace, the impact is massive. So if you have a look down at verse seven and eight, it says, but whatever was for my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul is able to give up holding everything so tightly. How come? Well, Paul now has a new status that God in Jesus endows. A new value and worthiness is placed on him and given to him. He is esteemed by God and now knows how God sees him, what God thinks of him, how God judges him, and how he actually fits into God's value system. I wonder if that's anything that's something that you've wondered about at all or is actually a part of working out your self-esteem, God's opinion. Paul, along with those um, who say um, they're Christian, are actually given an external, unrelated to you and despite our criteria, value and worth. Does God like me? You're his treasure. And that totally changes the do you like you answer forever and in every way. And this is the piece um, that was missing in Paul's life, despite how great he was. Ultimately, his personal value, with all his value judgments, now rests on this God-given esteem. And this is absolutely prized by him more than anything else uh, can offer. You see, the righteousness by means of the law idea was the place where Paul, and really many of us, looked to in order to establish and manage our self-esteem. For Paul, it was that so he would be fitting in the eyes of God. But the non-religious version is that we are fitting in our own eyes or in the eyes of others by our own standard. One major addition that the Bible brings to the concept of self-esteem that has been totally missed is that it ignores God and excludes his good perspective. As we're seeing, self-esteem um, works out Um, our value from ourselves, by ourselves, in relation to ourselves. But we are more than that. This esteem, God's esteem by grace, cannot be shaken, you see, because you have it irrespective of your performance, because it's by faith. And it cannot be withdrawn because God does not change and he keeps his promises. This is the solid, stable self-esteem that I think so many of us, so many people, quietly crave. And this is truly the best news, because however highly, even at your um, best version of yourself, your most actualized, can you really esteem yourself? Take a moment to think about it. Because however much that is that you can esteem yourself, at your best self, God esteems you more. The worth we place upon ourselves cannot even come close to the esteem that God has for us, irrefutably displayed in the Christian cross. From still another letter, Paul um, writes, um, he says about this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ, that's Jesus, died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, person. Someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, whilst we were still sinners, at our most unworthy, Christ died for us. Jesus places such value on you and I that he would come and he would die so that you could be given the esteem of God. And if you go back just before um, the passage we had read here in chapter two, it's all about that. It's all about Jesus coming to do this. You see, the Bible's unexpected take on this is that actually humanity needs the esteem of another of God in Jesus. For humanity to actually have that full and best um, criteria to work out of so I can like me, myself and I. So uni fellowship, whether you um, identify as a Christian or not, here we know objectively and truly that we are both deeply loved and highly valued. Um, One scholar, McGrath, says the cross then establishes the objective basis of Christian self-esteem. It's here that God has established his relationship with us. So what might then the impact of this be on our life? For me kind of working out my self-esteem, that how to self-esteem. How do I understand more of what Paul seems to be getting here or seems to have kind of got here? Well, in our last um, few minutes, um, I've got a few uh, reflections on this. Firstly, it drastically changes how we inhabit our particular criteria. When we know the esteem of God, we actually find a new, deeper, all-encompassing acceptance and worthiness that massively alters the weight of significance that we give our various criteria. Do I then find myself throwing that criteria out or rejecting it or ignoring its presence in my life? Not at all. Rather, for those of us who are Christian, it's given new meaning. You and I are given a way to find satisfaction and joy built upon the solid foundation of our unchanging esteem given by grace. My criteria is no longer my sole source of self-loving or hating, enjoyment or loathing. I am enabled to hold where I come from, what I do, what I've got going for me and what I'm gonna leave behind way more loosely and adjust them in light of his esteem. So what does that look like for instance in relation to my performance? Well by way of a little example, say I used to derive um, my self-esteem from serving at the uh, local uh, soup kitchen each week or insert whatever it is for you. Is that now irrelevant? Far from it. But we do relate to it differently the good and godly satisfaction and joy that comes from serving others like Christ can now actually simply be felt and then let go of. I don't need to hold onto it white knuckled as times as proof of my worth. I feel it more fully, but I can let go of it more happily. I even start to feel a profound happiness and joy when I do those things that bring um, God joy, that he delights in. And I actually find myself delighting in doing good. And isn't that the pleasure of God? That's a different way of operating. You see, as the key measure of our self-value is transformed, the key measure is transformed, what starts to happen and this is what was going on with Paul, is new values are attributed to ourselves. We experience areas of um, worthiness that we didn't realize that we had before, that we actually wouldn't accept before, and we actually didn't realize was the case. You start to esteem the things in yourself that Jesus esteems in you. Areas are opened up where we actually wrongly esteem self too much And wrongly esteem self too little. It's a self-valuing that actually creates an honest and authentic assessment of me. In all that makes me, me and all that I interact with. Secondly, um, this all comes together to be way more freeing approach to self-esteem. That's what I want to throw out there. It's actually really liberating. What happens for the Christian who no longer needs to spend um, their self to fill that worthiness gap between self and performance by always comparing and correcting? Or the treadmill slows down. The instability we ultimately can't control fades. What is fragile and sensitive transitions to confidence and security. It's a good place to be. Thirdly, it's a source of encouragement and gives you the right kind of identity boost, okay? Now, you may be a Christian who is actually thinking too little of yourself. Now, there may be a number of reasons for this, a bunch out of your control. So let me remind you once again of the truth of God's esteem in Jesus. He has set his love upon you, sought you, brought you, washed you and clothed you in the righteousness he gives you you may struggle to feel and fully experience this object reality in your life that is okay even if you can't feel this as much as you want to it remains true and your and, and it's your anchor that grounds you so remember remember this reality often, okay? Remember it always. Let it retain your thought processes so that you know with both head and heart that you are perfectly esteemed by God. And lastly, it's a source of hope for you as you kind of work out what makes you you. Now, on the other hand, you you may know you never really st- stack up, you may struggle to close that gap, you may just not really be too sure, or perhaps you've actually experienced what it is to have your world collapse. Then the hope held out here is that there is one who made you, holds you as precious, knows you intimately, and he loves you deeply, even in all the ways you're unworthy who you can have your value anchored in. And it no longer needs to be ultimately in you, but in that which won't move. So it provides you with that rest from chasing the horizons. You see, whoever you are, ultimately, I think you don't need to recover or increase your self-esteem In the first place, you actually need to see it fundamentally changed. So, Uni Fellowship, how is it that you esteem yourself? Let me pray. Lord and God, we thank you that um, you have something to say on this uh, topic. You have something good to say about self-esteem. And um, we ask that you would help us to continue to work uh, this out. Uh, Whether we know you or not, whether we care about you or not, uh, we ask that uh, you would help us to include you in the conversation and the consideration of um, us and that you would really help us to be a group that has high self-esteem because it's anchored in the right place. Um, and that would do us well in our life and in our studies um, and whatever uh, yeah the future might hold for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.